Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Well, hello, everybody, and here we are again for... Another go round with Believe in Titans, the uh, the podcast devoted to Mike Vrabel's team. I am David Beauclair of All Titans at SI.com, along with John Glennon, my partner at SI at All Titans at SI.com. John, how are you? I am doing well, and you, David? Doing great, thank you. And of course, former Titans, Broncos, Raiders, and Vikings, I believe, cornerback, Denard Walker. I don't remember the last two. Just when you introduced me, just do Titans and Broncos. Titans and Broncos. We'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. Denard from uh, from steaming hot Dallas, Texas. Oh. How yeah. how are you today, sir? I'm I'm surviving. You know, it's going to be a, like a long summer. I tell you. So let me. I'm going to try to get through this. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, you know, it, it it's hot in Nashville too, and and Titans players were uh, were out on the field for mandatory minicamp, the uh, the first of three scheduled days. Typically, the uh, the third day the is is canceled as sort of a reward to the players. So we're planning on on two days of workouts from this bunch this week. Donato, I want to ask you first off, you know, we've talked, we've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about the voluntary nature of most of the offseason program. This is mandatory. Everybody's there typically. Um, is there a different feeling this week? Is, is there a different intensity between the fact that everybody's here and knowing this is sort of the end of the offseason? Because after this week, players are on their own to the start of training camp. Yeah, you know what? For for me, you know, my for me it was my rookie season. And when I got a chance to start, when the vets start coming in, that's when it hits you and you start to really mingle, you start interacting with those veterans. You know, it, it's a, you get a little shell shock. And that's the one thing that I remember because after that, my first season, the second, third, and fourth season in Nashville, you don't even think about OTAs. It's just something that just you just do. And what you want to do is make sure you go 
when you get out of OTAs, you want to be healthy when you're heading into training camp. So once again, I think for me, just the first year, I was just shell-shocked at getting a chance to play with guys like Bruce Matthews and, and just uh, Daryl Lewis and Blaine Bishop. So if you, when you can get over that, uh, it, it's pretty much uh, downhill after that. And the, the uh, I guess the headline, the, the number one point of interest for most people was, was Derrick Henry, who has, who has been in Dallas working out on his own for most of the offseason. We see the occasional Instagram video that, uh, that gets everybody excited. But uh, John Glennon, how much did you watch Derrick Henry today? What, uh, what did you see? What did you think? You know, uh, not surprising. It looks like Derrick Henry's in great shape, turns <laughs> out. Uh, um, you know, I, I think uh, that that um, does not come as a surprise to many. You know, it, it was not like he, he stepped his uh, uh, toe into the pool tentatively today either. You know, he was getting the bulk of, of carries and, and uh, individual drills and so forth. And, and again, this is not contact. So, uh, you know, it's not like it's a uh, uh, training camp or anything like that. But, you know, even... In between drills, towards the end, I noticed uh, Derrick Henry was one of, of a couple of guys who were just running sprints, gassers uh, on on his own. You know, and as we just talked about earlier, it's probably 95 to 100 degrees out there. So it's certainly setting the tone. And, you know, the, the question was raised, of, of course, you know, Derek, did you think about coming, you know, for, for the voluntary OTAs and so forth? And any perfect logical answer, I thought. You know, that really in, in 2020, um, you know, when, when kind of COVID curtailed a lot of these group activities, a lot of these guys started working out on their own. Uh, and for Derrick Henry, who, is, who's a, who loves to work out, it meant really that he could actually work out even more, I, I think, than if he was in a traditional team setting. You know, he said, if, he, if I wanted to go to the gym two or three times a day, I, I, I could do that. So, I, I think uh, Derrick Henry looked uh, all the part of a guy who was very uh, um, in good shape and, and I think very motivated to uh, to kind of bounce back from last year's um, uh, injury marred season. Yeah, I, I saw him at one point too. It was early in the workout. It was uh, it was sort of position drills with with quarterbacks too, and and uh, he shoved aside someone else to to get in an extra rep at one point, which uh, which certainly suggests he is not babying that foot in any way shape or form and of course there were plenty of questions for Derek about the foot and and at one point he laughed and he said how long ago was it that I that I played that game you know he goes the foot's good it's good so uh it 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 wasn't you know we we heard last year at this time Taylor Lewan and, and Bud Dupree talking at length about their uh their recoveries from from reconstructive knee surgery and and they they went on and on to the degree that, to the degree that you almost felt like they were trying to convince themselves of something and uh and Taylor Lewan has has since sort of admitted that 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 was probably true but but Dupree of course admitted that he tried to do too much too soon Derek Derek's attitude about it today you know sort of gave me uh you know sort of gave me reason to think the foot really does feel good and he doesn't think about it. And he, you know, he, it, it, the, the work he's done this off season has been very specific. He talked about time he spent with a, uh, with a, uh, a physical therapist and, and the guy kept telling him over and over again to find his toes when he's running, which, uh, w- which I guess is, you know, a way of saying, 
don't uh, don't alter your running style. You need to go back to running exactly the way you did. So, it, you know, it was it was kind of an interesting an interesting media session with Derek from that uh, from that perspective, which which sort of begs the question then. And we'll start with you, Denard. How confident are you that we are going to see Derek Henry of 2019, 2019 and 2020 or, or something close to that this fall now? Well, it's easy. You saw it in OTAs. You know, I mean, look at how he was running. I, I love what y'all just said. I mean, listen, he hasn't lost a step. You know, you're looking at one of the most durable athletes in all of sports, period. And it, I'll tell you what, how many players do you know, John and David, that has a foot injury in week eight and they return at the end of the season? How many players do you think in the NFL could actually do that? Yeah, at that position, too. Especially at that position where you're talking about all of the cutting, you know, all of the, you, you're talking about having to, you got guys all up, draped all over you every play. You're talking about having to block. You're talking about the foot of all things. You know, that's probably the one thing that can hinder a running back other than a knee. But the fact that he returned, in the playoff game and was productive. I mean, we didn't see the Derek of old that we saw in the first beginning of the season. You could, you should expect that. But again, that's what he brings to the table. What he's just showed you is how committed he is to this organization by, like you said, his body. He looked like he was ripped. You can tell when a guy's been working. He's, he's just like Ron Tannehill, John and David. He, he has a bad taste in his mouth. And I'm pretty much, he spent the whole offseason saying, listen, I'm going to get everybody off of me uh, the first day that I show up to camp. And that's exactly what you have to do. That's what a leader is about in this league. He leads by example. What did you say? He shoved off a guy in practice to, hey, to get another rep. How many veterans you know, it's especially in OTAs, when it really doesn't count, but this is a time that you're getting ready. He's getting in that mindset to dominate. And we probably see a hungrier we probably see a more productive Derrick Henry in 2022. And that is scary for the National Football League. John Glennon, how confident are you? I think we'll see something uh, uh, close uh, uh, to, to the Derrick Henry of old. I'm, I'm not sure um, if we'll see the full pre-injury um, Derrick Henry right away. I still think it might take a little bit of time to, to ramp up. Uh, um and I'm not sure that even the won't carry the load as much as maybe he has in the past. You know, I was just kind of refreshing myself going over the last few years. And, you know, 2019 averaged 20 carries a game, 2020, almost 24 carries a game. Last year, now he only played the eight games. He was averaging 27 carries a game last year, which is incredible, uh, you know, in, in this day and age. So, I think maybe, you know, if you're the Titans and A, he's coming off injury, um, you know, and, and B, maybe you want to diversify just a little bit in the offense that maybe he doesn't get quite the same workload. So maybe I think he winds up if we're if we're just, you know, projecting numbers at a very early stage, I think maybe winds up with uh, maybe 300 ish carries uh, this year as opposed to even higher. And, and, you know, maybe he pops that average up a little higher than it was last year at four point at 4.3. So maybe he ends up with, say, I don't know, 1,300 yards uh, somewhere somewhere in that ballpark, which to me is, is another great uh, season for any running back and, and certainly would be a, 
you know, the, the mainstay for the Titans offense. Yeah, I think 300 would be a good number if uh, if they can get there with him and, and sort of manage his workload. You know, they we, we saw it last year in training camp, that, you know, how how they 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 kept him under wraps most of the time and, and clearly wanted to keep him fresh for the season and and talked about managing his workload. But then when you get into the games you know, you're Todd Downey, you just can't help yourself. You've got that guy, but you know, I'm a little less optimistic than you guys are even, uh, you know, even, even with the positive feeling right now, all in all, I, I go back to, you know, Eddie George in 2000 when he carried 403 times and yeah, then uh, ended up with a toe injury the, the next year. I mean, he, he never averaged 3.5 yards per carry in a season after after that 2000 season you know that that sort of workload now now granted training techniques and and what we know about sports medicine have come a long way but but i think the combination of of henry's huge carry numbers the last couple of years and the injury are, are going to make him a little more normal i, I you know I, I don't think it's i don't think it's going to be the to the degree with with larry johnson who when he set the league record with 416 carries in in 2006 you know he never could stay healthy enough to get 200 carries in a season again i think i think henry can stay healthy enough i, I think you're talking about a a 12 to 1300 yard back and, and if he can do that in concert, say with a Hassan Haskins getting a, a regular dose of carries and and uh, and start sort of helping you know manage Derek through the season, I think uh, I think that will be that will be sort of an ideal uh, an ideal season for this team. That you know what you what you don't want and and what will be worth watching given given that Derek's halfway through a, a contract and and there's talk of do you extend him or not is is he going to get hurt again? Because if he gets hurt again, then that's going to change the whole discussion around Derrick Henry for the long term. But uh, moving on, some guys who were there but did not get on the field today, almost as interesting, if not equally as interesting as Derrick Henry. Uh, Mike Rabel characterized them as, quote-unquote, unavailable and refused to uh, expand on them, uh, one being Jeffrey Simmons, 2019 first-round pick, all-pro defensive lineman, um, and the other, Traylon Burks, this year's first-round draft pick, the wide receiver. We've talked a lot about Burks and his conditioning and his asthma and, and, and what have you. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is, uh, is intriguing. As far as we know, no health issues. Um, he's under contract for this year and has had his fifth-year option picked up for 2023 um but could be angling for a uh, for an extension get a, get himself a nice signing bonus right now denard walker is is that likely do you think that's good business from jeffrey simmons if that's what he's doing well did it it worked for aaron donald <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know, you know, guys, you know, someone told me a long time ago, it says the game continues to evolve, but the mentality stays the same. So I've seen this in the past. What we used to do is sit out for training camp and you kind of whine and see what you can get. Now guys take it to social media or you just don't do anything, but could it work? I don't know. We, we saw this with AJ uh, in the off season. I know that there was a lot of tweets and a lot, a lot of tweeting going back and forth, talking about the value. Then you can go back to the, the Sean Watson uh, situation, not wanted to play for Houston, again, wanted out. 
And guys want to get paid. They want to get compensated handsomely. So once again, could this be a situation where the big man is saying, listen, I'm ready to get paid now. AJ just got his money. Uh, Harold Landry got his money. And listen, everything, at least in my opinion, I might be the best defensive tackle in the league. And you don't know in this game, unfortunately, David and John, as a former player, when your last play might be the next play you play in this game. And that's a, that's a part of the game. We know inevitably that injuries will happen. So you will see guys say, listen, you know, I can put a club in a bad situation financially. I think John alluded to this and we were talking about the AJ situation, but he was talking about how uh, John Robinson, what he uh, he's, he's done a good job is locking up his key players. And not only with Harold, you saw it with, um, Ryan, Derrick Henry. So again, do I think this is a good situation when you're not practicing? No, because you are a leader on this football team and guys need to see you out there practicing. But you got to understand it's also a business. And when you look at it from a business standpoint, guys will do something to garner some form of attention, even if that means I got to be a little bit of a distraction. It happens. I've seen it over. I've seen it time and time again. So once again, I don't think it's a good I don't think it's good, uh, but that's just my opinion. And that's something that you really have to discuss with Jeffrey on that. And I, and I hope the big man, he get, he's going to get compensated because he is, at least in my opinion, him and Aaron Donald are the two top uh, defensive tackles in the league. John Glennon, do you interpret this as a signal that, uh, hey, I'm here, this is my show of good faith, but I'm not willing. I'm not willing to get on the practice field right now. And and if something doesn't happen before training camp, you you might not see me in training camp at all. And 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 that being said, is is it too early to pay Jeffrey Simmons in his career, or is this a good time to do it? It would be my guess, you know, speculating that that's what we're seeing here right now. And again, you know, when when we don't get clarity, otherwise we don't know whether he's dealing with any type of of injury but my guess uh is that this is a contract situation and Jeffrey Simmons is maybe saying at least a, a bit of a show of good faith you know I'm going to show up anyway uh for mini camp but but you know I'm not going to risk any any injury uh before a contract extension and I, and I can't blame him honestly uh I know he still has 2 years left on his contract but you know this is a, a guy who has clearly outplayed his rookie deal he's set to make about four million dollars this year and then even if they use that fifth year option on him the following year that's only like 10 or 11 million you know and and you look at Aaron Donald who just got a deal averaging 31 million Um, and again I'm not saying Jeffrey Simmons at this point is Aaron Donald but I think he's probably number two um, in that defensive tackle realm and the next level of guys at the defensive tackle spot is really around 20 million. You know, there's a few in the 18, 17 million dollar range. So I think you're looking at Jeffrey Simmons as a guy who probably, you know, is next deal. He should be averaging certainly upwards of 20 and probably closer to 25, I would think. Um, and and if you're the the Titans and you have the AJ Brown situation in the back of your mind where things went down the road in a in a hurry, things went south in a hurry, you know, I think you have to be thinking. You know, maybe we really got to pay attention to this. The track record, uh, you know, they haven't done a lot of extensions when there are still two years left on the contract. But I think if, you, if you're if you going to make exceptions for anybody, Jeffrey Simmons is a pretty good guy to, to make an exception for. And, and to Denard's point that in the NFL, 
you know, you never know when your last play is going to be, you know, he's looking around at a guy like AJ Brown, who was drafted the same year as him. AJ's deal with, uh, with Philadelphia includes a signing bonus in a little, a little in excess of $23 million. He looks at Aaron Donald, the guy he's being compared most often with these days. And, and that deal included a signing bonus of $25 million. So, you know, if, if you're Jeffrey, you know, the, the, the guarantee, the 50 year guarantee for 2023, if any extension would, would, you know, would not wipe that out. If it would start say in 2024, he's, he's guaranteed 10.75 million that year, which is, which is not chump change by any stretch of the imagination, but he's, he's probably sitting there thinking I could get 20, 25 million in the bank right now if I sign that deal. And that sounds like, uh, that sounds like something I, w- I would want to do. I, th- I think we would all think that if, uh, if we were in that situation, you know, this, this is a team that, that has not held on to its first round draft picks last year. I mean, you look around, Rashawn Evans is in Atlanta now. Corey Davis is with the New York Jets. Adoree Jackson is with the, with the New York Giants. But this, this certainly looks like a guy you, you want to hold on to and, and you want to, you want to be a part of that line for seven, eight, nine, ten years, whatever, uh, whatever you can get out of him, and uh, and you know maybe this is maybe this is the time to do it. You you certainly uh, you certainly don't want to uh, you don't want to like, to your point, John. You don't want to create this negativity that uh, that we saw with AJ Brown because uh, because that really got ugly in a hurry and and led to AJ ended up in Philadelphia. And what do we have next? Speaking of AJ Brown, AJ Brown still making noise in Tennessee, though. Uh, get, getting in a little Twitter spat with a uh, with a fan and and claiming that uh, that he was he, he's the best wide receiver in franchise history. To which uh, one Derek Mason took umbrage. Derek Mason, of course, drafted the same year as, as our man, Denard Walker, yes. who, uh, you know, rose to, to great prominence in this league. So, uh, Denard, I'll ask you, did did AJ Brown in three years do enough to surpass Derek Mason and, and make himself the best, uh, the best wide receiver this franchise has known? Maybe we'll even limit it to the, the Titans era at least. Well, let me say this. I can't stand when guys, they say that they're the GOAT, uh, especially you just been there, what, three years for an organization. When you think about greatness, you think about longevity. When you think about greatness in basketball, you talk about Michael Jordan, his stance with the Bulls. When I think about greatness for Tennessee, when it comes to the receiving core, the first name that comes to mind is Derek Mason because Derek Mason wore a Titans uniform, well, for seven years, was it seven years in Nashville? I think and let me, that's right, yeah. And let me, let me just years. give you a little background about D. Mace. I'm, I'm going to just say this, is that he didn't even start until 2000. And he was not even the guy that they wanted in there in the first place. And people don't even know this story. In 1999, Tennessee organization was trying to trade Derek Mason. And I'm glad that trade didn't go through. And let me tell you what you you got in Derek Mason. You have the most productive receiver in franchise history, other than when you look at the Oilers, Titans. Uh, when you're looking at that merger, you're talking about the great Ernest Givens. But when you talk about 
When you talk about greatness, you talk about production. And Derek just wasn't a receiver. You got to understand, he started out as a punt returner and a kick returner for three years. He was like, when he got into the receiving uh, part of it was in 2000. That's when he's kind of had that breakout year. But I mean, we had guys like Yancey Thickpen, who we signed from Pittsburgh. We gave individual uh, Kevin Dyson. We had first rounder out of Utah. Yancey came in as a big time free agent. We paid him a lot of money, but it was Derek that was the one that was making those plays. So when you talk about greatness, you're talking about a player that in a four year span had what a, over a thousand yards receiving. I mean, that is amazing, but he also can do it in a kick return game and the punt return game. So that's what I, when you talk about greatness to me, it starts with D Mays. It starts and it ends with him. AJ, don't get me wrong, David and John, he was off to a great career. Three years in Nashville, he would have had three straight 1,000 yard season if it wasn't for the last year. He had the kind of the little chest injury, the little issue he had. Again, he was on course, he was on pace. But again, we'll never know that because he was only here for three years. And the last time I checked, I haven't seen not one player in the National Football League that is on a ring of Hall of Fame that's been in the organization for three years. The guy that's closest to is my former teammate, Terrell, uh, the great T. Oh, God, Terrell Davis. I almost got TD name. I call him TD. But he played in, what, Denver for, what, six years? But he had the best four years out of any running back in the league. That's why he's a Hall of Famer. So, again, it's about longevity. And A.J., he can't claim that because he was only in Nashville for three. John, does A.J. just need to move on and and forget about the Titans and and be a Philadelphia Eagle now? Or or is this this good theater? and, And should we expect more of this going forward? That's good fodder for the media, I, I guess. Yeah, it keeps, uh, keeps itself in the uh, headlines. We're talking about him now, and it's been over a month since the end. I don't really understand the, the strategy, if there's a social media strategy of A.J. Brown, to kind of respond randomly to, to you know, people on, on Twitter. And, uh, you know, this has been brought up before, but I suspect – you know, he's in Philadelphia now, which is a, a larger fan base and, and a bit more of a critical fan base. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure the uh, the media is known to be a, a harder uh, to on their athletes. You know, if, if this kind of sort of sensitive behavior, you know, kind of continues, I think he's in for a, a rough spell in, in Philadelphia. But, you know, I... I I see where AJ, you know, maybe is is coming from in that his first three years were certainly, you know, probably better than than anyone, certainly in the Titans area in, in terms of wide receiver. Because Denard, as you, as you mentioned, you know, Derek Mason certainly didn't get rolling really as a receiver until that fourth year. And then, then he just racked up some huge numbers. And of course, AJ in, in just three years had basically 3,000 yards and I think 24 touchdowns as well, and and nobody can touch that. So I think he was on pace probably if he had done this for another, you know, three, four years to probably become at at least the best Titans era uh, receiver here. But but doing it for three years and, and, uh, you know, and, and not having a good grasp of history. Um, no, no, AJ, you're, you're not the best in the Titans era. And, and, uh, don't, uh, don't sell that, uh, you know, to, to us, or don't try to sell that to us or, or certainly to Derek Mason. And, and I was, I was going to say the, the one guy you don't want to pick a fight with on this subject is Derek Mason. No. because Derek, Derek Mason has always 
And going back to what you're talking about, Denard, he has always had a chip on his shoulder and he he will stand up for himself any chance he gets. I remember I wrote a story a couple of years ago. I think it was for the the Ravens 25th anniversary or something. They they did a they they did a the fans voted an all time Ravens team or whatever. And and Derek Mason was not uh, was not voted one of the top two wide receivers there. It was Anquan Bolden and and somebody else. And I remember saying, you know, that that, that just proves Derek, My, Derek Mason was a Titan more than he was a Raven because those fans clearly didn't appreciate who he was and, and what he was. And, uh, and, and he, he jumped all over that on Twitter and was talking about, I'm the, I'm the number one wide receiver for two different franchises and neither one of them care about me. He's, he's still, he's still bitter that it took him so long to, to get into the, uh, the regular offensive rotation with the Titans there. But you're talking about, uh, of the top receiving yards seasons of the Titans era for this franchise, he has numbers one, three, and four. And this is not a guy who was running 30 yards down the field no. and, and catching deep balls from Steve McNair either. I mean, no. he was, he was catching underneath stuff and catching tons of balls. He was breaking some of them for, for big gains. He was, uh, you know, using that returner skill that, that was a guy who, who, who you know he he was not a dazzling physical specimen, but he did a lot with what he had, and and to Denard's point, did it consistently over a, over a long period of time. And uh, you know AJ Brown has been a has been a lot of fun the the last couple of years, but uh, but but the appreciation that 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 Derek Mason sort of that, that developed for Derek Mason over time was. Uh, you know, it, it, people might forget it a little bit right now, but it was it. it you know, people loved that guy because people were tired. As much as people loved Frank Wycheck, people were tired of seeing so many balls go to the tight ends. They wanted to see a wide receiver making plays. And 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 after Yancey Thigpen didn't work out, after Willie Davis wasn't uh, what they had hoped, after Kevin Dyson as a first round pick wasn't Randy Moss, who was this you know taken in the first round of that same draft. It uh, you know Derek Mason. Derek Mason was a guy who won over a lot of people, and and I think is more appreciated than he realized. And uh, you, you probably had to cover him, Denard. Did you know before 2000 that, like, I mean, was there talk in the locker room like this guy needs to be in the lineup, needs to be getting the ball? Not at first. <laughs> <laughs> Not, I, you know what? Me and Mace go back to the days of LSU, Michigan State. We played them in college. It was Derek and Mushin Muhammad, who was a first-round draft pick. Mushin with the Carolina. Uh, he was a foot and, and those two, they were both great receivers, but it was me and Tory James. Uh, when I was at LSU, we played him in the independence bowl and we locked them down, but Derek never could admit that. But you know what, when I worked uh, against them in practice, cause I went against D Mason every day. One thing about Derek Mason, you said it, David, De- Derek Mason was, he's like, when you talk about, you want to cheer for the underdog. Derek is as mentally strong as any at any receiver that played has ever played this game. He was only five foot 10, 190 pounds, but Derek was a fighter. Derek wasn't afraid to scrap with you. If there was a block that needed to be made, Derek was going to make that block. If there was a fight, if something went down, Derek was going to be in the middle of it. I've actually had a scrum with Derek in practice. He's one of the toughest individuals that I've ever gone against. He was a great teammate and I played against him. When I went to Oakland, we played against Tennessee. And that first half, he beat me up. 
And then the <laughs> second half, I kind of got back at him and he looks at me and said, D-Wall, man, you still got it. And I said, Derek, you know why I got it? Because it's people like you that bring it out of me. And that was a special game for me. I love Derek Mason. I think he should, uh, uh, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know what people are waiting for. If you look at his numbers, you tell me what other receiver has averaged from 2000 to 2004, over 80 reception and over 1,000 yards. I mean, there's guys that have done it, but the great ones, and I still believe he's, he's got snuff on the Hall of Fame. He'll get, he'll get there one day. That's what I'm praying for. He will get there in the Hall of Fame one day. He said he set an NFL record in 2004 all-purpose yards that, that stood for like 15 years or something. I think Darren Sproles yeah. was the one who broke it. You know, I mean, it's not just – he was not just ordinary good. He did something no player in the league had ever done when you're talking about the combination of receiving yards, kick return yards, punt return yards in, in a season. It was uh, – it, it it was it was a remarkable it was a remarkable breakthrough for him. Uh, we mentioned Traylon Burks a little bit earlier. It remains to be seen what uh, what he does for this franchise, where he ends up in this discussion somewhere down the line. But John Glennon, I want to I want to bring up a, a story you wrote at All Titans this week, uh, where you talked to a couple doctors about asthma, and you know the the, the questions have come up you know, how could the Titans have not known or, or if this guy's had asthma, why didn't it show up during his days at Arkansas? And you, you know, you found some, uh, some interesting, some interesting takes from the medical professions on or professionals on, on that front. Fill us in a little bit, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, pretty interesting. You know, we, we'd all been talking about uh, Traylon Burks and the, and the, the asthma for, for so long that, you know, I, I just thought it would be wise to maybe get a couple of experts instead of just us, researching on the internet and and so forth so uh, I talked to one doctor from Vanderbilt here specialist and another one from the asthma and allergy center uh, you know a national nonprofit center as well uh, you know and, and they did have some some interesting ideas you know uh, uh, I thought one uh, in specific that that comes to mind is that um, you know most people who have asthma now um, have probably had it since they were kids mm-hmm. you know uh, there is such thing as adult asthma, but usually that doesn't come about until the 30s or 40s and 50s. So, uh, you know, Traylon Burks has probably had asthma for, for a long time, but yeah, it certainly didn't impact him at Arkansas. So, you know, one theory proposed, you know, as to, as to why all of a sudden it's impacting him now, uh, as, as opposed to uh, not at, at Arkansas, is simply the, the change of atmosphere. And we don't think of, of, you know, Fayetteville, Arkansas and Nashville, Tennessee is being so different, but, you know, certainly like air quality, uh, you know, the amount of, of pollens in the air, um, you know, which triggers asthma is much, uh, the situation is much more, is much worse in Nashville than, than a lot of other places such as Fayetteville. So it's certainly possible that, that the change in his environment is, is having a, um, a detrimental effect in that regard. And another uh, theory that was proposed too is that, you know, in, in high school and in college, you know, uh, Traylon Burks wasn't practicing in May and June, you know, and, you, you know, in, in high school, uh, you know, obviously you're not starting even until, until late August, most of the time, but in college, you know, your spring ball is in March. And then, you know, you're not really getting going towards the season until maybe August and September. So this is really the first time that in these really pollen heavy months, like, like May and June, 
that he is exerting himself to this degree and that that certainly is a possibility uh you know when when it comes to his asthma but you know you'd like to think that it would start to have been controlled uh, at this point that was another thing the doctor said that generally the medicine this stage are such that you can generally get those under things under control in, in a few weeks and certainly we both know we all know of, of NFL players who are still playing with with asthma right now but it has to be a little bit of concerning you know we did not see Traylon Burks today at minicamp we did not last see him at the last open OTA so it's clearly not something that is completely over or completely controlled at this point and the question now is when will it, you know, be controlled? Is he going to be ready for training camp? Um, and how much is it impacting a guy as a rookie who is missing a good chunk of time now on the field in his first offseason, uh, in, in part because of this asthma and probably in part because of conditioning as well? Well, there you have it. Yeah, I thought that uh, I thought that was interesting, too, particularly the uh, the, the the practicing in, in May and June, which are which are prime asthma months. I didn't uh, I didn't realize they were prime asthma months. But uh, with that bit of uh, of actual fact finding and whatnot, we will make that the last word for uh for this edition of Believe in Titans, as always, we thank all of you out there for uh, for listening, for downloading, uh, and we uh, we will put a pin in the uh, in the off season next week and, and officially start turning our attention to training camp. So until then, I will say, Denard Walker, good night, sir. Good night, good night. Thank you, John Glennon. Good night to you. Same to you, David. And good night to, to everybody out there. We will, we will talk to you again next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.